All right, you may have a seat. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here at Anthem Church on this wonderful Sunday morning. We are in a sermon series entitled Composing. And what we're doing is that we're taking a good long look at the kind of life that God is composing in the hearts of his people. So think of an anthem. An anthem is more than just a song. It's, it's more than just music. What, what you have in an anthem is something that not only communicates thoughts and ideas, but it stirs the emotions. Like an anthem inspires us. It compels us. It motivates us. It moves us. And I want everyone in here to know this morning that God is this craftsman, this master artist, right? Because that's what an anthem is. It's a work of art. And God is a master artist. And he's at work crafting his work of art, even as we speak right now. And here's the thing. We are that work of art. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And the word workmanship there is the Greek word poema, which is the word that we get poem from. So like think work of art, right? And and the Greek word poema actually doesn't talk about workmanship as like some kind of laborer. It it refers to workmanship as a skilled artist. It's a word that talks about God being artistic and a craftsman, a a workmanship of, of art. It's what the word is talking about. And what we are told in that verse is that we, God's people, are in fact God's work of art. We are his poema, his workmanship. And it is through Christ that we are recreated, that we are recreated into living art, into living artwork. So what happens is it is through the gospel that we are composed into a living, breathing anthem in which the notes of that song are love, faith, and hope. And that's what God is up to in this world. He is composing in our hearts a heart of love, a love-filled heart, faith-filled heart, and a hope-filled heart. That is precisely what God is doing, and he's doing it in order to communicate to the world. Just like an anthem, right? It communicates thoughts and ideas, and it's meant to inspire. Well, if we are supposed to be a living, breathing anthem, then what God is doing is that he is communicating through the world, through us, in hopes of inspiring people to know him, to know his grace, to know his love and his kindness and his uh, mercies. So the purpose, so that everyone will know, the purpose of this sermon series is for us to define what it is to be an anthemer. And by an anthemer, I mean someone who is a part of Anthem Church. And also, we want people to know what it is that we're trying to accomplish in the hearts of everyone who attends and that we come into contact with. Like, what is Anthem Church about? This is what it's about. We are about composing, allowing God to compose something in us. And we define what a Christian is here, what a follower of Jesus is, by simply saying it is a love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled follower of Jesus. We like breaking it down. Like making it as, as simple and concise as possible for people like me that need it simple, right? So what's it mean to be a Christian? It is a person who is a love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled follower of Jesus. Our hope in this series is that we would all become God's living artwork in this world. That we would be his canvas and his medium through which he communicates his goodness to this world. And so we have a tremendous amount of stuff that I want to cover 
in a short amount of time. So just pray with me because I need God's help this morning. Uh, gracious Father, we, uh, we come before you this morning, and Lord, you have great and beautiful plans prepared for us, as that verse says, Lord. Um, your desire is to create art, living, breathing art, Lord. You want to do something amazing in us, Lord, that, that the chaos and the sin of our lives be transformed, Lord, into a melody of your grace. So, Lord, I ask this morning that you would uh, apply your hands as a master artist into the, the clay of our hearts, Lord, and shape us and mold us that we would be the people that you desire us to be, that we would sing anthems of your glory, Lord, and that we ourselves would in fact be living, breathing anthems of your glory in this world. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so what we've done over the last two weeks is that we've discussed what it means to be love-filled. So if you haven't been around for that, I say go back. We've got them online. You can get it on iTunes. Go to Anthem Church Sermon Audio on iTunes. Go to our website on church resources. If you miss one or both of them, go back and listen to them just to catch up a little bit because we're moving on from love field to talk about faith field. So today and next Sunday, we'll be talking about what it means to be faith field. And so let me just ask you a question. What is faith? What is faith? And most people will simply define it as believing, believing something. And that's partly true. I mean, that's true-ish, not fully accurate. Like, that's not the whole story. So the way the Bible defines what faith is, is that faith is believing in something so much that you give yourself underneath that truth. So it's believing something to the, to the point that you immerse yourself in it. You surrender to it. You give your life over to it. You, put, you submit yourself underneath, underneath the weight of that belief, of that truth. That's what it means to, to have biblical faith. It is, it's when something you, you come across something that you haven't heard before, you didn't know, you realize that it's true, and it becomes your new paradox. It becomes your new context. It's, it's, the, it's the very filter by which you now view the world. It becomes your new operating system for you techie geeks, right? It becomes the new means by which you now operate in the world and everything, and everything takes place in your life. So faith is not static belief, which I think is usually how most of us think of it. I just believe. I have faith. But it's not that. That's not how the Bible describes it or defines it. It's not static belief. It's active faithfulness. So when, as a follower of Jesus, when you think faith, you should be thinking active faithfulness, like ongoing daily faithfulness. Consider how Jesus shared the gospel. I like throwing this out there every once in a while because it messes with people. How did Jesus share the good news? You know, he came to preach that the kingdom of God's at hand and, and repent and all this stuff. And he did all these miracles and, and, and taught all this stuff. How did he, but when he really got to the nitty gritty of sharing the gospel or inviting people to know God, to know himself, like, how did he do that? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and do what? Follow me. And follow me. So Jesus did not say this. Jesus did not say, accept me as Savior. 
Like he never says that. And that's, that's not to say that that's not true. That's not to say that we shouldn't do that. Clearly, we need to embrace Jesus as Savior. But the nitty-gritty of it, what it means to be faith-filled, to know Christ, is to be a follower. It's to be an active follower of Jesus to, it, to the extent that we don't just say, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for my sin. It's not just that. It's believing that so much that it becomes your new operating system. It's believing it so much that it radically reorients and completely distorts how you used to live. It changes everything about you. So now you're thinking differently. Your perspective is different. Your priorities are different. Your attitude begins to change. Everything about us changes when we put our faith in who Jesus is. That's faith. It's active faithfulness, active following of Jesus. So look again at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The, the verse will be right there on the screen. So, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would do what? Walk in them. So we are God's artwork. We're his anthem to what end? to living the life that he has prepared for us, to living the life that he has planned for us. So to what degree are we living art, God's living art and anthem in this world? It is to the degree that we follow Jesus and we embrace the life that he's given to us and we accept the plans that he has for us and we walk in that new life. So does that make sense? Is that clear? All right, so here at Anthem, again, we like to break things down. We like to, we like to just simplify it as much as possible. So, how do we define faith? Simply this, submitting, submitting our choices. Submitting our choices. So, last two weeks, how do we define love field? Submitting our interests. Submitting our interests, putting the interests of God and others ahead of ourselves. So, faith is submitting our choices. Submitting our choices in our daily life. Each and every day, all of us have a choice to make. Every day. Each and every day, all day long, we actually face all kinds of choices that we have to make. Should I fudge on my taxes or be honest? Should I put in a hard day's work or slack off? Should I watch TV or help my kids with their homework? Should I flirt with the girl at the water cooler or be true to my wife? Every day, we face all kinds of choices. Should I spend a little bit more on a nicer TV, or should I support a mission trip to Haiti? And here's the important one. Should I put bacon on my cheeseburger or, or extra bacon? A dilemma. It is a quandary. Every day we have to choose how we're going to live. And we have to choose between being faithful to like our wants, our needs, our luxuries, our entertainment, our, our, our. Between choosing faithfulness to that or faithfulness to the life that God has prepared. Every day we have to make that choice. Every day we have to choose between following like our sinful, fleshly, earthly, sinful desires or following Jesus. That's the choice. And choosing 
to follow Jesus, to be faithful to the Lord, that's faith. That's being faith-filled. So being faith-filled is choosing to live the life that God has chosen for you. That's what it means. That's faith. It's choosing to live the, God, the life that God has chosen for you to live. It's choosing to do the things that God has chosen for you to do. And here's the question, right, for some people. Why in the world would I choose that? Because there's some stuff I want to do that seems pretty fun and cool and great, but God wants me to do something else that doesn't seem quite as much fun and cool and great. So why should I submit my choice to him and do that which is not so much fun, cool, or great? And folks, it's because living a life in which you follow Jesus is the best life imaginable. There is no greater privilege, there is no greater honor, there is no greater anything that we could ever enjoy other than living a life that is following after Jesus. Psalm 119, verse 68, it says, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. And, and so what, what the psalmist is saying in that verse, God, because you are good, because you are abundantly generous, because you are abounding in mercy, because you are clothed in glory and majesty and light, because you are all holy, because you are the goodest good of all possible goods, because you are the greatest ever, because you are benevolent. Teach me, help me to be faithful to you. Because there's no better life than being lived for you. Help me to be faithful to you and to walk in your ways. Uh, one of the, the, my favorite verses in Scripture is uh, Jeremiah 32, 41. I remember to this day the first time I read it, and I wrote, wow, in blue ink, in the little margin. And to paraphrase the verse, it says that God rejoices in doing good for his people. God loves being good. So it's not just that he's good, it's that he loves in being good, doing good, blessing those that put their faith in him, who, are, who belong to him. And so here's a God who is complete, total, divine goodness, eternal goodness, and he takes his goodness and he dumps it on us. So I ask, who else is there worth following? Who else or what else is there worth being faithful to? What else should we place our faith in? And I ask it rhetorically because the answer is pretty clear and obvious, right? There's no one who am I in heaven but you. Like there is no one else that we follow. So being faithful means submitting our choices to God submitting our lives over to him and so like let, let's just deal that down a little bit more so what does that actually look like though in life all right so the way we break it down a little bit more is well it's a life characterized by wisdom and a life characterized by integrity so next week we'll discuss integrity this week the rest of your time we're going to talk about what wisdom is what is wisdom what is it and that's one of those funky words that you kind of sort of know what it is, but it's really hard to put words behind a definition. It's really hard to kind of lock it in and make it succinct. It's hard to, under, to, to put it out there. So I think for us to know what wisdom is, we have to start where, where wisdom starts. So we have to start with God. So God is wisdom. God is wise. 
So the first thing I'll say is that God is the source of all wisdom. He is the source of all wisdom. So Job chapter 12, verse 13 says, In him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows all things. So he is the eternal fount from which all wisdom flows. He is the everlasting light from which all wisdom emanates. He is the source of it all. He owns it all. And then, so God is the source of all wisdom. The second thing we can say about God and wisdom is that God's wisdom is all-powerful. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By wisdom he founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. So check that out. It is through God's divine wisdom through which everything that is came to be. So time and space, matter and energy, heavens and earth, things animate, things inanimate, all things came into being through the divine majestic power, wisdom of God. And the third thing is God's wisdom is good. And look at this verse. I love this verse. James 3, 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So that verse describes what wisdom is. It's good. It's the very character, the very character of God. God displays his wisdom as he displays his character to us. He is loving. That means that God is wise. He is gracious. He's pure. He's holy. He's majestic. That's all captured and summed up in the fact that God is wise. His wisdom is loving. His wisdom is righteous. His justice is wise. Like it's all, it's, the, it's, it's speaking to the unitary aspect of who God is. God is wise in all that he does and all that God does is good. All right. Now, I'm enjoying this, by the way, because uh, I feel like I'm teaching systematic theology this morning. All right, so um, let, me, let me put all this together for everyone in a little bit, a bit, in a nice little package. What does it mean to say that God is wise? It means this. He is all-knowing. He knows all things. He can do all things. And he works all things for the good. When we say that God is wise, so God is the source of all wisdom, his wisdom is all-powerful, and his wisdom is good. What are we saying? We are saying, God, you're wise. What does that mean? God, you know all things, you can do all things, and you work all things for the good. In other words, God knows what is best, and he knows the best way to accomplish what is best. That's what it means that God is wise. God, God knows what is best, and he knows the best way to accomplish what is best. So what does that mean for us? What do, so how do we become wise? You trust that God knows best and trust that he knows how to accomplish what is best. That's wisdom. Trusting that God knows all things, trusting that God can do all things, and trusting that God works all things for the good. That's wisdom. That's that's what it means. Wisdom is, is actively living out. So again, it's not just believing it, but it's faith. So wisdom is like faith in action. 
Wisdom is faith in motion. Wisdom is taking truth, though what's true about God, and actually applying it and living it out. So being a faithful follower of Jesus, active in your faith, walking in those works that God has prepared for us. Clear? Easy? There's going to be a pop quiz afterwards on this one. So every day choosing to live this life as a follower of Jesus, that's wisdom, folks. That's what it looks like. That's what it actually is. So let me ask a few questions here. Is there anyone in this room currently living a life of frustration rather than living a life of joy and peace? Is there, is there anyone in the room that as much as you may try, things just don't seem to go well and you seem to just be caught in a constant spiral of chaos and turmoil and distress and anxiety and fear and all of that. Is there anyone in the room who is tired of the consequences of bad decisions, tired of regrets, wishing, wishing, wishing you had taken the blue pill instead of the red pill? Some people didn't get that, all right. If that describes you, if that describes you, may I propose, theorize, and postulate that it may very well be that you're living in your own wisdom as opposed to God's. It is so many of us that so often opt to do things our way. So many of us, so much, so often, what we opt for is to follow our own path, to follow after our own desires. We put confidence and trust in our own opinions, in our own perspective. We, we let our physical eyes be what drives our decisions or to dictate our daily choices. We let our emotions and our feelings determine how we live our lives. We buy into the expression if it feels good, do it. And so we rely on our so-called wisdom. We rely on the wisdom of the world, the so-called wisdom of the world. And then, folks, we are shocked. We're shocked when things don't go well. And I don't know much, but there are a few things I know. And I do know this, that when we do things our way, how I want, what I want, when I want, with whom I want, it never, ever goes well. There's always repercussions when I do things the way that I want. Always repercussions. Like doing that is an exercise in futility, in befuddlement. It's, just, it's an exercise in frustration. Um, let me tell you about my golf swing. Um, my golf swing is a work of art. It is silky and true. It's beautiful. It's elegant. It's one of the few things that's right with the world. <laughs> and uh, I would swing in front of you, but I fear that you would break out in tears and weeping of joy at the majesty of what you would behold. And it's not just that it 
looks good. He said it feels good. I mean, everything about it, from the, from the moment I, I gripped the club and, and I addressed the ball, right, and from the minute that I, I take my weight and I shift it and I start my backswing and I transfer it and I go through the zone, I mean, everything is right. It's like club and man are one. Perfect harmony, unity. Folks, my golf swing is what heaven feels like. And yet, despite how good it looks and how good it feels, the ball never goes where I want it to go. (laughs) I hook it, I slice it, I duff it, I top it, I skull it. Anything but put it on the green. So what I did, because I was so frustrated, because how can something so beautiful and gorgeous and how can something so wonderful not give me the results that I wanted, I, I was wondering what I needed to do. So I, a few years ago, I went and got some golf lessons. And uh, so I made an appointment with a pro, scheduled the lessons, and, and, and went. And I'm thinking, I just need like a small, tiny, minuscule adjustment, right? That's what I'm thinking. And I, so I go there, and, and they say, all right, hit a few balls. So I'm like, all right. And I'm so happy for them because they're going to get to see my swing. And uh, I'm like so excited, so excited for them. And uh, so I hit just like three or four. And they stopped me. And so I'm just waiting for the praise. And they said, all right, well, your grip is wrong. Um, you, you're, you're not holding the, the club right. And your stance is too narrow. And you're way too far from the ball. It's not even in the right position. So we've got to move the ball forward some. And your back swing's all messed up. We've got to bring it in instead of out the way you're doing it. And your front swing, man, you've got to teach you to keep your elbow down because it's swinging out. And... Well, she uh, totally destroyed my golf swing. Bless her heart. And uh, everything, apparently everything about my swing was completely wrong, which is why I was getting the bad results that I was getting. Like, I couldn't get the ball to go straight. It didn't, it didn't matter what my swing looked like. It didn't matter what it felt like. It was wrong. And so it was not giving me the results that, that I wanted. So I listened to the instructions that, that uh, she gave me, and uh, I tell you, it was amazing how in such a short amount, it was just a few swings. In just a few swings, all of a sudden the ball started going straight. And it was amazing what happened when I listened to the instructions of someone who knew better, who knew what was right. And so here's the point. Just because something looks good, just because something feels good, does not mean that it is good. And it does not mean that it will yield good results. Spent years of frustration on the golf course, still do, unfortunately. I'm still Mr. Double Bogey. But anyway, years of frustration on the golf course because I was trusting in flawed golf wisdom, trusting on my own, and I could figure this out. I could do it. I can do this on, the, on my own, never getting the results that I wanted. Never. So here's the point. So many of us walk around with flawed swings in our living. And we're doing things because it looks good. It feels good. It's, I got good intentions. But it's not giving me the results that I want. 
my life is slicing, my life is hooking, I'm duffing it, I'm sculling it, I'm topping it, all that stuff. And the problem with walking around with a bad life swing is that what I just said, things don't go our way. So what we're hoping in our, that we're all hoping to have these thriving, healthy marriages, but then what happens is that if our, if our swing isn't right, our, our marriage is unhealthy. Or we want to raise our children well, but if our swing isn't right, we actually may cause some harm and do some damage. Right? We all want to live content and at peace, but if our swing isn't right, then next thing you know, we're like up to here in debt and discontent with everything that we have anyway. So there, there has to be someone that we can go to that can fix our life swing, and fortunately there is. And that's the good news, that God is the pro. He's the life pro. He knows exactly what our life should be, what it should look like. He knows completely what is best. He's the Lord Almighty, right? He knows all things. He can do all things. He works all things for the good, right? He's the one that knows what is best and knows how to best accomplish what is best. So we can completely go to God for the wisdom that we need in our lives if, in fact, we want our lives to go straight, if we want our lives to yield what it is that we all want, want it to yield, which is abundant life, joy, peace, happiness, all of that, all the things that God promises. So he offers it. We just have to go to him. So uh, Proverbs, if, you, if you've never really read much in the book of Proverbs, I, I recommend that you spend time in Proverbs. Proverbs is really neat. There's 31 chapters. Basically, you can read one chapter a day, and you read through it every month. So it's just a neat little tool. February might mess you up a little bit. You might have to double up or triple up one day, but that's okay. You could do it. All right, so, but anyway, so, but I love the book of Proverbs. It's just, there's so much wisdom, practical, everyday wisdom in it, and uh, I'm just going to take a very, very, very brief look at chapter 3, just a couple of verses in, in Proverbs chapter 3, because God in, in that chapter, Proverbs 3, he paints a picture of what the golf swing should look like, what our life swing should look like. So I'm just going to glean a couple of pointers to help straighten it out for us. Just a couple little pointers here to help, to help our life swing a little bit. So in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. So the first little pointer, I think here, if we want to live a life of wisdom, is that wisdom requires reminders. Wisdom requires reminders. What's the first thing that says there? My son, do not forget. And it's amazing how easily and quickly we forget. We forget about God quickly. We forget about God's love easily. We forget about the gospel and Jesus and the cross and God's grace. We forget about that really quickly. It's amazing. We're like, we're like a sieve. It, I mean, it just kind of comes in and goes right back out. Like it, it just goes out. We forget often quickly, easily. We forget the life that God has called us to live. We forget that we're his workmanship, called to live in these works that he's prepared for us. We forget that really quickly. So what we need to do is set up a system of reminders. Because if we don't have this system, what's going to happen is that we will default back to the previous operating system. If the new system doesn't work, so reminding yourself about God, if it fails, you revert back to your own wisdom. 
You revert, you have to, like you, that's how we live. So you revert back to that. So we have to set up a system in order to keep us from defaulting back to the other way, to relying on our own, on our own wisdom. And how do we do that? Folks, that's why we gather here on Sunday mornings. That's why we have church in a church service, and we gather, and we sing songs, and there's preaching. It's to remind us of God and remind us of his word, remind us what he wants for us, to remind us. So we come to church for that. It's why we do anthem night. It's why, like, the fourth Sunday of every month, 6 p.m., such as tonight, we, we gather here, and it's a time of praise and worship. It's when we take the Lord's Supper together. Lord's Supper is about remembering about remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. So we gather together there. So it's why to help us remind, be reminded of God and his grace, his love, and what he desires for us. It's why we urge everyone to be in a small group. So we call them A-teams because we think we're cool. And so we, we call them A-teams. And we want everyone in A-team where they can just enjoy community with one another and help each other. So like mine meets on Tuesday. So Tuesday, we, we remind each other, hey, What's going on? And we read the Bible and we pray. So there's a reminder there. It's, it's why we ask everyone, hey, read the Bible on your own. Pray daily. Remind yourself. There is no wisdom without reminding because we forget and we default back to the other way of living. So let me ask you, are you living in wisdom? Are you putting yourself in places where you can be reminded of the fact that God knows all things, that he can do all things, and that he works all things for the good. Because if you want to be wise, that's what it's going to take. All right. The second thing from, from verse 1 there, the next pointer, is that wisdom requires doing. So the first pointer was wisdom requires reminders. The second one, wisdom requires doing. So we're told in verse 1, we're told, to keep, we're told in verse 1 to keep the commandments. And what I think is really interesting in verse 1 is that we're told that the opposite of forgetting is not remembering. The opposite of forgetting is doing. That's what it says in verse 1. Like, don't forget, keep the commandments. And in essence, it's like just remembering by itself is kind of, so what? Like, if all you do is remember the kind of life that you're supposed to live and who God is and how wonderful he is and what he's prepared for you, if you just remember it and that's where, as far as it goes, then so what? Like, then what good is that? So the opposite of forgetting is actually doing and keeping and going through. It's, that's why I said earlier that faith and wisdom, it, or wisdom is faith in action. It's not static. It's, it's, in, it's moving. It's believing to the point that you give yourself underneath it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, it says in reference to obeying God's command, it says, so keep and do them for that is your wisdom. In reference to the commandments, it says, keep them, do them for that is your wisdom. So if you want to be wise, do what God says to do because he's wise and he knows what is best and the best way to accomplish what is best. So oftentimes, though, here's where some folks need to be careful. And, of course, there aren't any of these people here. Uh, but there are some people who love Bible study. They, they have an inordinate love of Bible study. They can't get enough of it. They love facts, information. They love the Bible, but it's they don't live it out. And folks, that's not wisdom. That's just information. 
Wisdom is taking what the Bible says and actually owning it, embracing it, and then it, it pours back out through your life. So it's doing it. It's being a faithful follower of Jesus. So it's like the golf swing. Like, so what if I know how to do a golf swing right if I ignore how to do it right and continue to do it wrong? Of what good is it? I'm just going to be frustrated on a golf course. Throw a club, hit somebody, which has happened. True story. By accident. Kind of. So, anyway, living that way is not wisdom. That's just futility. So, are you living in wisdom? Are you living in wisdom? Are you choosing daily to do what God has chosen for you to do? Are you doing it? All right, number three. The first one, what? Wisdom requires reminders. Number two, wisdom requires doing. Number three, wisdom is a matter of character. It's an issue of character. So Proverbs verse three, three chapter, verse, chapter three, verse three. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. So godly character is a function of kindness and of truth. Kindness there, some of you may recognize this word, is the Hebrew word chesed, which means love, covenant love, unshakable generosity. It means goodness in action. It means total, total abandonment for the good of another. It is loving someone to the point that you selflessly sacrifice for that person, putting their interests first. So that's the word kindness. The next one is truth, which is the Hebrew word emet, which means fully reliable, fully reliable trustworthy, dependable, responsible. You put those together, we're talking about character. So wisdom is a function of character. It, it's, there it, wisdom is not a function of how much you know. It's about how you conduct yourself based on what you know. That's wise living. That's wise living. We, we read this verse earlier, James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Folks, who does that sound like? Jesus. Sunday school answer. More than likely, that was going to be the right answer if you were shy about uttering that out. So it's Jesus. Jesus. That sounds like Jesus. Jesus is from above, he's first, he's pure, he's peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. That's Jesus. So who's the wise person? The person who displays and reflects the character of Christ. The person who is growing in Christ's likeness. That's wisdom. The person who more and more imitates the example of Jesus. In other words, the person who is a follower of Christ. That's, that's wisdom. So what, what does that look like? Well, it's being gracious and forgiving when someone wrongs us instead of holding a grudge. And it's being giving and charitable to help those that are in need rather than just looking for my comforts and pleasures and entertainment and all that. It's not, and I, I used the example before, but it's, it's not spending so much on like inordinate lavishes when there's gospel that needs to go out to the world whether it's ministry that we do here our outreach whether it's Sunday morning stuff whether it's our trip to Haiti whatever it is it's being generous and charitable and sacrificing for the sake of the gospel because that's the character of Jesus that's what he did it's being honest 
rather than manipulative. It's building people up with our words rather than tearing them down with our words. So are you living in wisdom? Are you living in wisdom? Are you growing in Christ's likeness? Are you following? Are you following every day? Are you following Jesus? Number four, wisdom requires your all. So Proverbs, the famous verses five and six, say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So to enjoy the life of wisdom, it's really a matter of being all in. There's no, there's no holding back. There's, there's no, well, I'm going to give God this much. No, it's like it's being completely all in. When it says that you trust the Lord with all your heart, it means with, with your whole heart, everything in you, trusting him fully in everything and always, all of the time, everything toward him. And when it says that acknowledging him in all your ways means doing everything for the glory of God. Not doing it for your glory, but doing it for the glory of God. So it's denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following him. It's choosing to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's choosing to follow him. And here's the payoff. Because sometimes that can start sounding a bit like, like, oh, man, how do I do that? And that's, so, that's a big deal, and you really want me to sacrifice that much. Here's the payoff. It tells us in those verses, he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. He will straighten it out. He will put your feet on solid ground. The God who is almighty, who knows all things, who can do all things, and who works all things for the good will take you by the hand, by the hand, personally lead you through your life, protect you, watch over you, provide for you, nurture you. That's a payoff. That's right. And that's good stuff right there. So are you living a life of wisdom? Are you all in? Are you all in? Or are you holding back? What is it that you're holding back? And the last one that I'll mention is that wisdom requires repentance. Wisdom requires repentance. Look at verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Like This verse makes it very clear, abundantly clear. That living a life according to our own wisdom is sin. That leaning on my own understanding is actually in the sight of God evil. So when we, when we trust ourselves, when we trust ourselves, when we trust the things of the world, when we, when we trust anything other than God, it's sin. It's the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. It's the very same thing. We are, when we do it, we're elevating ourselves to God's status. Right? We're saying, no, I know what's best. I know what's right. I know what's good. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to do what I want to do because I, I believe this is best. So, God, I'm demoting you, and I'm promoting myself to God's status. And that's the same sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. They were tempted. It's like, eat of this fruit, even though it had been forgiven. Eat of it, and you will become wise like God. You'll become like God and you'll know right from wrong, good from evil. You'll be wise. 
And so they took it. So every time that we choose not to follow what God has followed, we're in essence following the example of Adam and Eve, which led to the fall and the chaos that we all now have to put up with. Every time we do it, and we do this every day, so let's not pretend like there's no one here who's arrived. Every single one of us struggles with this daily. Every day we have multiple decisions, and I would dare say there ain't a single person in this room who's choosing perfectly on all of those every day. Ain't happening, right? Every day. Every day we walk around with a boombox. I'm going 80s right now. With a boombox on our shoulder, with a theme song playing. My prerogative. I could do what I want to do. I could do is what I feel. You know the words. So we walk around this way. We walk around this way until we're elevating ourselves to to God's status. We're sinning, and that's evil in the sight of God. So what must we do? Repent every day, each time. Every day, repent. Every day, come clean before God. You're not going to surprise him. He knows. He knows better than you do. So you come clean and you confess it and you just come clean and you're just honest like, Lord, I chose incorrectly. I did that wrong. I want to turn away from it. I want to turn back to you, which is what repentance means. And so I want to just enjoy grace, Lord. So please help me wash, wash this away from me and help me to do it better from here on out. Folks, that's wisdom. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Was it because he was sinless? No, it's because when he sinned, he would immediately, he would turn to God in repentance. That's, that's wisdom. And in verse, in verse 7 there, it says to fear the Lord. And scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. And it has to begin there. Wisdom has to begin with a fear. There has to be a moment in our lives where we come to the frightful realization that we sin against Almighty God. That, and it's terrifying to actually know that each time I sin, I am, in essence, slapping the face of a God who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke a universe into existence every time. And knowing, and it becomes even more terrifying and more frightening, that knowing that, every time, that God knows every sin. He knows them better than I do. All my sin, past, present, and future. Every bit of it. All my evil thoughts, sinful thoughts, wicked deeds, attitudes, behaviors, all of it. He knows it all. So here's all this sin, and it's against Almighty God. And it's frightening to realize that he is just. So we know that he cannot abide in sin, nor will he abide in sin, which means that he will not let it abide. He will not let it persist. He will deal with it. He will will bring judgment to bear upon sin. And that one day, people are going to have to come up before him and give an account. Folks, that's frightening. That's absolutely terrifying. And if only, if only there were a way out. If only there were a way out. And isn't there good news that there is a way out? Like the way, Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. That we, if we come before God 
just ourselves naked with our sin, that the only equitable punishment is complete separation from him from all eternity. Complete separation, removal from his presence and his goodness forever. We call the place hell. Place of gloom and despair. And here comes Jesus and says, I got it. I will go to a cross and there I will take your sin off of you. I'll put it on me. I'll own it as if I did it. I'll let God the Father in heaven look down on me as if I'm you. Look down upon your sin, which is on me, and I will absolutely take it all for you. That's the gospel. And there on the cross, he died and he shed his blood so that we may be forgiven, so that if we would just believe in him and trust him and give our lives over to him, become his followers, all that sin is removed so that there is no judgment. There is, there is no hell in our future. There is no payment that we have to pay because it's already taken care of, done once and for all. That's the gospel. So, in essence, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, right? It begins, wisdom begins with the gospel. It begins with understanding how ugly our sin is, that the only way that it could be dealt with was for Jesus to die. Like, how bad is it that it took the Son of God, that that was the only way to get rid of it? That's how bad it is. And so it begins with understanding how, how dreadful our sin is and what it deserves and and all this, so wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Folks, it begins with the fear of the Lord, but it does not end with the fear of the Lord. It ends with the grace of God. You know, the best verse ever written in the song, my favorite, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Wisdom begins with fear, but it is sustained by grace by love and mercy and kindness and the goodness of God. And so, folks, I, I don't know where you're at. If you're someone who is not experiencing wisdom in your life, the wisdom of God, with grace and just but honest, it may be that you've never accepted Jesus as Lord. It may very well be that you're in your sin and that you've never repented and you've never come clean. Because the good life, the right life, the, the life of abundant, abundantness that God has promised can only come to us if we come to the cross first. If we believe that he died for us and he was raised on the third day, having conquered sin and death, it begins there. So have you given your life over to him? Have you actually pledged your life as a follower of Jesus? Have you said, I'm done with the other. I'm going to be faithful to you and you alone, Lord. Have you done that? And if you are a follower of Jesus and you're like, I'm really not living in wisdom, repent. God loves you. He loves you. He desires what's good for you. He knows what's best and he knows how to accomplish what's best and he wants that for you. He wants to straighten out your life. Smoother, easier, not perfect, not this side of heaven, but he's willing to do that for you if we would just repent. And then, so we have to have these reminders in our day, in our life, in our week 
to remind us of who God is and the life he's called us to. And then we have to actually do it. So it's not just being reminded, but actually apply this to our lives each and every day, every week. Do it. Knowing that it's a matter of character. So Lord, help me. Prayerfully pray. God, help me to reflect Jesus more and more in my life, my attitude, my character. And it's not only that, but it's, what's number four? What's the fourth thing I said? So it's giving your all. Giving your all to the Lord. So not holding back. Just go ahead and immerse yourself. Like, dive in. Like, Christianity is not like a stick your toe in the, in the water sport. I mean, it's, it's the 100-meter dash, right, freestyle. I mean, it's, it's jumping in. you got to dive in. So you don't hold anything back. And you have to be quick to repent because we all mess it up. All of us every day. And that's wisdom. Just coming before God and enjoying his grace every day. That's it. That's it. So will you commit to living a life of wisdom? Will you commit to living life as a follower of Jesus? Wholeheartedly. All in. Do you want a life of wisdom where the God who knows everything can do everything? and does everything for the good that he's with you every step of the way. We are Anthem Church, folks. May God compose in each one of us a faith-filled life, one filled with wisdom, walking in the ways of the Lord, walking in those works that he prepared for us each and every day, choosing to submit to him because that life is radically better than the alternative. All right, just pray with me. Lord, Father, I do thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the challenge before us where you call us to live in wisdom, to know you as our wise God. And Lord, I, I pray now that if, if there's anyone in this room who, who needs to embrace you as Lord, that they would do so right now. If there's anyone in the room who has never actually placed their faith in Christ, may they do so this very instant and not leave this building not knowing you as Lord. And folks, Lord, if there's anyone in this room, a believer who's just not living in wisdom, Lord, I pray that they would just come before you now and they make themselves available to you and to your grace and to your mercy, Lord, and that they would commit to living a life just trusting you, following you, faithful to you. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just... I'm going to ask if, if anyone this morning is needing to respond to the Lord and make a commitment to him, will you raise your hand? It's this morning that you're accepting Christ for the first time. You realize that you need to be forgiven of your sin. Will you raise your hand? If you're a follower of Jesus, 
and you realize that you're not walking in wisdom and that you need to repent and make some changes to your life, will you raise your hand? Okay. God bless you all. Lord Father, I pray for these commitments that are being made this morning. I pray for your grace upon them. Oh Lord, I ask that you would pour your wisdom upon their hearts, that they may be changed, Lord, that they may live fully for you in every way, rejoicing in the gift of the gospel, striving to honor the name of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, living for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.